Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning out at 11 o'clock for our service this morning. You know, the Word of God says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And uh, maybe some of us today need to pray the prayer of David, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And we're going to talk a lot about the worshiping warrior of God and where he is both in his life, but then how God brought him out of that part of his life and how he delivered them and put him on a whole different path and how David is not only praising the Lord, but leading others and inspiring others to worship and praise the Lord as well. So this morning, as we continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God, I'm going to have you turn to two different passages of scripture this morning. The first is 1 Samuel 29, 1 Samuel chapter 29, and the second is Psalm 124. Psalm 124. If you've been following this series at all, you know that David is now in a season of spiritual lapse in his life. This lasts for 16 months. Uh, He doesn't even write a psalm during these 16 months of his life. He has suffered from discouragement and disillusionment to despair and then eventually even defection from God. He has wandered over to enemy territory. And we know that now he is with the Philistines, the very enemies of the people of God, and he has become a servant of King Achish of Gath. So last couple of weeks ago, we saw where David found himself in a great predicament uh, because the Philistines have now decided to go to war against the Israelites. What's David going to do? How's he going to get out of this mess that he has found himself in? And uh, that's where we pick it up at the beginning of chapter 29. Now, by the time we get done with this, and I'm just going to spend a few minutes in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel, because I want to spend the majority of our time today in Psalm 124. But before we even get there, David had agreed to be the servant of King Achish, you remember, and uh, he was going on these raiding parties, and he had deceived King Achish into thinking that he was fighting against the Philistine enemies when really he was fighting against Israel's enemies, and he was lying about it to King Achish. So King Achish has been deceived. Uh, He believes everything that David is telling him, but now the Philistines are going to war with the Israelites, and how's this all going to play out? Well, we're going to see how this resolves in a couple weeks, but let me say this. Even though when you get to the end of chapter 29, it seems like David has sort of gotten out of a jam, uh, the worst is yet to come for David, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks in 1 Samuel 30. But Let's begin in 1 Samuel 29 by just mentioning something of geographical significance, where this battle is taking place. You you have there that the Israelite army and the Philistine army are encamped in the Valley of Jezreel. Some of you would know that as the Valley of Megiddo or where Armageddon is going to take place. Uh, This is a piece of land in the Middle East that has been the site 
of many historical battles over the centuries. And obviously, it's going to be the place of the final battle uh, of historical significance one day. It it's sort of naturally lays out as a great battlefield. And so even in David's day, here he is on one side of the valley looking across at his own people, the Israelites, on the other side. And as they're massing for battle, the leaders of the Philistines, the other leaders besides King Achish, come up to him and basically start protesting David's participation in this battle. They're like, uh, we do not feel comfortable with David going into battle with us, even though he's, you know, supposedly been serving us and been on our side for several months now. We still don't trust him. Well, King Achish takes up for him. King Achish is putting in a good word for the, with the other leaders. He's like, oh, no, you know, David's been reliable. Uh, he's, he's been a good servant. You know, there's nothing wrong with David. He's fine. And the leaders keep pushing back. And basically, they're like, look, we're not going to go into battle as long as David's a part of this. Remember, King Achish, what the Israelites have said about him. Saul killed his thousands, David conquered his ten thousands. This is a man who knows what to do in battle. This is a man that has won many battles in his life. And we are very aware that this could all be part of some grand plan of David to where he's come over to our side and sort of played our friend for many, many months only to go into battle with us at a very strategic time and then in the middle of the battle, turn on us. We're not doing that. And so King Achish, not wanting to go into battle, obviously without the support of the other leaders, he capitulates to them and he goes to David and says, David, I'm sorry, I, I believe in you, but they don't think you're reliable. And so I'm going to have to ask you to leave. So David and his men, the Bible says at the end of chapter 29, they basically leave and they remove themselves from the battlefield. And, and you can only imagine what's going through David's mind at this point. This tangled web that David has woven up to this point seems to be miraculously untangled. And somehow he gets off the hook. He doesn't have to come clean to Achish. He doesn't have to say, oh, yeah, I've been deceiving you. But he also doesn't have to go to war against his own people because obviously his own people would never accept him as their future king if he ever would have fought against them. So it seems like David has experienced a miraculous deliverance from God. And in one sense, he has. But he's still got to go through some real pain before he's ultimately delivered. So let's leave 1 Samuel 29. That's all the time I want to spend there. And let's now come over to Psalm 124. The reason I wanted to spend the majority of our time here today is because what we see 
is that just in a few months' time, David has been transformed. I mean, here was a man who was living in enemy territory, getting ready to go to war against his own people, had sort of walked away from God in his life, and now a few months later, he's back to writing psalms, not only writing these psalms, but encouraging people in their worship and inspiring the people of God to worship God. And, and the reason God led me to share the message this way is because God wants to encourage all of us that he can bring us through and bring us out of and bring us into a new season in our life anytime we're willing to turn to him. We, we don't have to be defined by our failures. We don't have to stay there. We don't have to be stuck there. God can change us and, and totally change the trajectory of our life and even what our life looks like, even in just a few months' time. And so here's David in Psalm 124, and now he's in a totally different place with God. And again, why is he writing this psalm? Because at some other point, God has delivered him and the people of God in a very evident and dramatic and mighty way. And David is like, we got to pause and we've got to praise our God. Notice before we even get into this psalm this morning, though, the superscription above the psalm. It says, a psalm of ascents by David. What does that mean? What are the psalms of ascents? They are approximately 15 psalms in the collection of 150 that we have in our Bible. And they were for, for a specific purpose. The reason the word ascents was used is that these psalms were sung by pilgrims from all over Israel as they would go up to Jerusalem on feast days, festival days, special holy days to worship God. So let's note something there. The people of God were trained by God not to enter his house to worship him without preparation first. In a sense, worship didn't start once they got to the house of God, worship started as soon as they left their own house to go to the house of God. Worship was to be a lifestyle. Worship was to be something that they did continually so that when, like for instance for us, when we come together on Sundays and Wednesday nights, it's just an extension of what we're doing every day all week. Because it's impossible for us as human beings to just turn on and turn off our heart of worship for God. If, if you're one of those Christians that you think, I don't have to worship God all week, and somehow I can come at 11 o'clock to the Oasis on Sunday morning, and I can have a heart of worship ready to worship God, it doesn't work that way. God wants us to use worship as just, that's part of who we are every single day of our life. And so when we come together, we're just continuing to do what we've done all week. 
is bring our heart of worship to God. That's why can I say that worship leaders like Nicole sometimes have a really difficult, challenging task because for most Christians today, they've got to spend a majority of time in worship just getting people to that place because they haven't come with a heart of worship. So we sort of got to take time to get people to that point and then worship can really start tracking. Well, that's not the way God intended for it to be. Then the other thing I want to point out about the Psalm of Ascents is that the other reason it was used was because anywhere that the people of God would leave to go to Jerusalem, it was always up. You went up to Jerusalem. It was always highest in elevation. So physically speaking, they were always physically going up and ascending as they walked to Jerusalem. Think about the picture here of maybe whole families gathering together, groups of friends gathering together, and walking on those dirt roads up to Jerusalem, just singing their hearts out as they went, worshiping God along the way. But the other thing that I want to mention is that this word ascents doesn't just speak to us about the physical geography, it also speaks to us spiritually because the word ascents literally means to journey to a higher place, to take a step up. And I believe that what David is trying to encourage the people of God to do here in Psalm 124 is also a spiritual step up. It is in a sense saying, I want to journey to higher ground. I want to go to higher ground with God. And the way you and I go to higher ground with God is by making our worship of God a lifestyle, by making it something that we do every single day of our lives so that when we come into the house of God, again, we're just continuing to do what we've done every day, all week long. So how does David start out this song? Well, first of all, again, by identifying Israel's deliverer. You see, again, God has delivered his people and David in some evident, dramatic, and mighty way. And David wants to recognize that so that the gratitude of God's people will be amplified for God. So notice what he says. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say this. Let me repeat it again, David says, in case you missed it. If the Lord had not been on our side. Let's stop there. What David is saying is he's trying to get the people of God, first of all, to contemplate where would they be without God. I think it's important and significant and even necessary for you and I to do that on a regular basis. To remind ourselves, where would we be without God? Well, first of all, we wouldn't be here because God's our creator. None of us would exist without him. And then when you begin to think about where we would be even as the people of God spiritually, where would we be without the love of God in our hearts? Knowing that God loves us every day. Where would we be 
without the knowledge of his sacrifice for us. Knowing that we are saved and forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Where would we be without hope of eternity in heaven and glory that awaits us? Where would we be without all? That's what David is saying here. He's identifying Israel's deliverer and he's saying, if the Lord had not been on our side, where would we have been? And by the way, that phrase, let Israel say so, in the Hebrew literally means stop. Stop the presses, David is saying. Stop everything. Let's not go a step further in our life without stopping and pausing and praising our God because of who he is and what he's done. That's how committed, how intentional, how significant, how important worship should be to us. That we are so mindful of where we would be without our God and all that we have because of him in our lives that we are regularly pausing and saying, God, thank you. Where would I be without you in my life? How would I have gotten through that in my life? How would I have navigated that situation in my life if it wouldn't have been for you? Why would, how could I be where I'm at in my life if it wasn't for you? This is what David is saying to the people of God. And remember, this is coming from a man that just a few months earlier, he had gotten himself into a real mess. He would walked away from God. He was living in enemy territory. And look at the change that God has brought in his heart. If God can do that with David, God can do that with any of us and anyone else. Something else David is doing here. He's not only wanting to amplify the people's gratitude for God. He wants to build confidence into the people about the delivering power of their God and the fact that God can deliver them in and through anything that they'll ever come in contact with. Because notice the phrase, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, well, the Lord's only on our side because why? Because we're on his side, right? It's, it's only because we have aligned our lives with God that God is for us. And then that reminds us then of Romans 8:31 where Paul says, "If God is for us, what? Who can be against us?" That's what David is writing here in Psalm 124. He's saying, "If the Lord hadn't been on our side, but because he is on our side, there's no one or nothing that can stand in our way. God is going to be victorious over everything." And God can bring victory into our life over everything and anything. There's nothing more powerful than God. And if he is for us, then we need to believe that there is nothing that can stop us as long as we keep following God. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We are always led in triumphal procession in Christ. We are overcomers through our God. I mean, over and over again, we are to live in victory because Christ has brought us and bought us that victory through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
if the Lord had not been with us, let Israel say so, if the Lord had not been with us. Had not been with us in what way? Then notice the end of verse two, when men attacked us. And now beginning in verse three, David goes from identifying the deliverer of Israel to magnifying the dangers that God delivered them from. Why would David magnify the dangers of what they've been delivered from? Because when you magnify the danger, you magnify the deliverance and you magnify the deliverer. That's why as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't minimize the circumstances that we're going through. Using a very raw terminology today, we shouldn't poo-poo it away as if it's no big deal. Because when we minimize the circumstances of life that we're going through, then that means we're minimizing our deliverance through it and the God who's bringing us through it. David wants to do just the opposite. David wants to magnify what God has brought them through so that he even gets more glory and more gratitude. And it's again, it's a reminder that it doesn't matter what forces or what powers or what authorities are against them, God is greater than all of it. So notice what David does. I think he must believe that he and his people are very visual because what David does here is he gives his people four pictures of, of what the dangers were that God had been delivering them from. And the first one that we find in verse three is this. He says, when men attacked us who wanted to literally swallow us alive, when their rage was focused upon us, when their anger was expressed in rage. Swallowed alive. Now, I don't want to gross anybody out, but I think all of us have seen enough nature shows and whatever to know that, you know, there's those pictures and films of those tier one predators that literally swallow their prey alive. You know, whether it's those big snakes or something like a big alligator. Or, I mean, they don't even chew it. You see it passing through their body. It literally, they open up and they swallow their prey. David is saying, that's the danger that we were in. We literally were, were against a force that could swallow us alive. Let me just take us back mentally, back to where we were in 1 Samuel 29. When these armies camped across from each other in the Valley of Jezreel, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 28, verse 5, that King Saul looked across and saw the Philistine army, and it says he was absolutely terrified. He was scared to death because the Philistines, they were like the most powerful, most formidable, most frightening force that was alive on planet Earth at that time. They, they had way more soldiers than the Israelites, way more weapons, all that. And listen, for the most part, that's the way it's going to be with the people of God. Our enemies are always, in a worldly way, going to have more force, more weapons, more of them. 
We're always going to be outnumbered. But that only magnifies when God takes us through and brings us through how great our God is. And so David is saying, we were up against a predator that could have swallowed us alive. We were no match for what we were up against. We were over our heads. Speaking of that, notice picture number two, verses three and four. The force and power of water. He says the water would have overpowered us. The current would have overwhelmed us. The raging water would have overwhelmed us. I think we all understand how powerful and forceful water can be. I don't know how many of you saw that video of just a couple weeks ago about that rogue wave coming along on Marshall Island and just literally just plastering buildings and people and just moving them out of the way. I'm glad everybody was ultimately okay, but if you saw the video, there were several people that were just standing in front of this doorway and all of a sudden this wall of water just comes up and just takes them and just, they have nothing they can do about it. That's how power, we all know that. Flash floods and floods. You can't hold back that kind of water. It is strong. And David is saying to his people, that's who we were up against. We, we were up against a, a force of water that would just knock us down. There was no way we could stand up in front of that water. I was sharing with the people at nine o'clock. God humbled me. Well, he always has to humble me. But he humbled me many, many years ago, back when I was, you know, that know-it-all teenager that thought I was bigger and stronger than anything else. And I remember one of the times, I, many of you don't know this, but back in the day when I played football in high school, I weighed about 300 pounds. And I can remember going to the ocean and going out there and going, these waves, they're, you know, no big deal, right? And this wave that really wasn't even a big wave, it came along and it just knocked me down and took me back. And I got up and I had sand everywhere. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm not as strong as I think I am, especially up against water. That's pretty strong. And that's what David is saying. David is saying we were up against a tier one predator who could swallow us alive. We were up against a wall of water that was going to knock us down. Third picture. Let's first start at verse six where he says he's got to stop right there. He can't even go on to the last two pictures. And he says, the Lord deserves praise. By the way, that word praise means to adore God on bended knee. It's like humbled by how great God is, how good God is. That our God would be such a God that could deliver us from anything and everything. He deserves our praise for what he has brought us through and where he's brought us to. And then David gives them a third picture. He says, the Lord deserves praise because he did not hand us over as prey to their teeth. First of all, notice the phrase, hand us over. That's important. That means David is recognizing the sovereignty of God, that those enemies could have nothing on them unless God allowed it to happen. But even in that, David goes back again to the picture of a tier one predator. You know those predators, again, that you've seen films of and pictures of where they're not so much 
interested immediately in eating or swallowing their prey. It's sort of like probably a, a thing of like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm the stronger one and I'm going to show you how strong I am because I'm just going to clamp onto you with my strong jaws and my strong teeth and I'm just going to carry you around in my mouth for a while. I'm going to show you who's boss and you're just going to be a rag doll that you, you can do nothing because my jaws are so strong and my teeth are so strong that once I clamp down on you, I can walk around with you in there and there's not a thing you're going to do about it. You can't extract yourself. You can't get out because my jaws and my teeth have clamped down on you. That's the picture David is giving. He's saying whatever had us, there's no way we could have ever delivered or saved ourselves. There's no way we could have ever extracted ourselves out of the grips of what we were in. And I want all of us to be reminded of today. You may be here today and you may be in such a situation or, or in such an addiction or something that something's got such a grip on you that you feel like I can never get over this. I can never get beyond this. I'm never going to have freedom and all that. I'm telling you, that's not the message of God. God is, I am strong enough to deliver you from anything and everything. I can take whatever's got a grip on you and I can loosen that grip. And so David says, if the Lord had not been with us, we'd have been swallowed alive. We'd have been knocked down by that wall of water we would have just been held there in the jaws and with the teeth of this apex predator. One more picture, verse seven. When our lives were rescued or saved like a bird from the snare of a hunter, the snare broke and we escaped. Back in David's day, People wanted to catch birds. They would take these huge nets. And they're not like some, I mean, these were strong nets. I mean, these were like spider webs, if you will, for birds. Once a bird got caught in that net, they were done. There, there was no way they could extract themselves from that net. And David is saying, we're like a helpless bird. We just flew in and got caught in a situation, and there's nothing we could do to get ourselves out. But God broke the net so that we could escape and be free again. This is who our God is, David says. He wants to, again, magnify the dangers that God had brought them through and brought them out of so that their God could be magnified, so that their gratitude could be amplified him. And the same thing should be true for us today. May we not minimize the things that we go through in life because everything that God brings us through and out of are things that, that magnify who he is and the deliverance that he can bring into a person's life. That's why then David ends this psalm in verse 8 by declaring the Savior. He says, our deliverer is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And the word deliverer means help or helper. That's why I thought it was very appropriate what Dave shared before both services about, Lord, help me. 
Because that's exactly what David said. David is saying, God is the ultimate helper. You and I could have no greater or better help than what comes from God. And here's why, David says, because he's the creator of heaven and earth. Meaning that if he created everything in the universe, that means he controls everything in the universe. And doesn't that then remind you of the first couple of verses of Psalm 121, just a few psalms before, where David writes, I will look up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. May that be our saying as well. My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. David is saying, look, I don't know what you need help from. I don't know what you need help through, but I know the one that can get you through. I know the one that can bring you out of whatever your situation is because there's no greater help, there's no better helper than our Lord. And David wants his people to be focused on God like never before and not just focused upon him, not just thinking of him, but literally stirred to worship him. The Lord deserves praise. So may we, as we come to this place, even in our service today, may we think about those words and apply them to our own life. Where would we be without God? I think about where Jeff Royce would be without God. Obviously totally lost, but even more than that, I look back on my life and I can start to recount all the things and situations and circumstances that God has brought me through. And as we've sung, he's so faithful. He's brought me through everything. There's never been a moment in my life where I was abandoned or forsaken, where he wasn't there for me, where he wasn't there to help me. He was. And the only reason I can stand before you today here on this date as your pastor is because God has been good to Jeff Royce and God has helped me every step of the way. And may all of us have that same sentiment towards our God. Because that's the kind of heart of worship that David is trying to stir within his own people. And I think he's even using himself as an example. I think he probably had conversations where he said, guys and gals, you know where I was just a few months ago. You know the bad place that I was in, all because of my own choices. And look at where I am now. And then think about the fact that in just a few more months, he's literally going to become the king of Israel. Wow. Only God can do that kind of stuff. So may we come as the Oasis Church at this time and may our hearts be filled with gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation and admiration and adoration for our God that has brought us to this point. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come and as they come to get settled here in the platform, I'm going to ask you as we transition from our message to our time of worship, if you would stand and just join me in prayer.
Father, may all of us today be humbled by what we've experienced in your house today through our worship and through your word. May all of us realize, Lord, where we would be without you. Lord, may we even contemplate, even as one of your children, Lord, how different our life would look if we didn't have you. It doesn't mean that our lives are easy just because we're your child, but it does mean that we have a God that's going to get us through anything and everything if we just trust him. That he is the help that we need. And that God, you can deliver us from anything and everything. No matter what the danger, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the distress, God, you are able because you are the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. So Lord, may we come with such hearts of worship today, ready to worship you because as David said, the Lord deserves our praise. And so may we come here with hearts ready to praise you, God, as we end our time in your house today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.